0: Let us stand for the reading of God's holy and inspired word. Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 25. Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father has killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. The father said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead and is alive again. And he was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. (coughs) O Lord our God, we do give thee thanks for thy word. We pray, O Lord, that you would give us understanding as we consider these things. We ask, O Lord, that... You would bless the preaching of your word, that you would give me utterance, that your word would go forth in great power by the work of thy spirit. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts, be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. This is one of the most beautiful parables in all of the Gospels. It conveys the heart of God towards sinners. The theme that runs through this parable is joy over converted sinners. We saw that in verse 7 with the finding of the lost sheep. We saw that in verse 10 with the finding of the coin. Now in the parable of the two sons. I would propose, as I said last week, that this parable that is commonly called the prodigal son should really be called the parable of the two sons, or more importantly, the parable of the forgiving father. We don't want to miss the main point of the heart of God towards sinners, As I said last week, there is one parable. All three of these parables are listed here. But there's one parable that's connected. They all have that common theme of something that was lost and is found. A sheep that was lost and was found. A coin that was lost. Two brothers that were lost. Oftentimes we look at the parable of the prodigal, as it's called, And only focus on the younger brother. But there's a whole lot of instruction in the remaining of that parable related to the older brother. As we approach verses 25 through 32, we see that the older son is just as lost as the younger son. God is no respecter of persons, and he rightly sees all the same under judgment. The Apostle Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, that God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And Paul goes on to say, that the <clears throat> Jew and the Gentile are equally guilty before God. That the righteous, pious Jew and the unholy Gentile are equally guilty before God. Here is the story <clears throat> of the elder brother that we find great instruction. We saw last week that account of the younger brother. But we miss the instruction regarding the older or elder brother. And so first of all, we see the self-righteous attitude of the elder brother. When you go back in verse 1, Of chapter 15, Luke records that then drew near unto him all the publicans and all the sinners for to hear him. It is these publicans and sinners who are desiring to draw near unto Christ. You can't miss that from the passage. There's a desire not only to hear Him, but to follow Him. But then we see Jesus' warning to the Pharisees and to the scribes who are listening to this because they begin to murmur, saying He receives sinners and He eats with them. So Jesus doesn't address their their, uh, response. Jesus simply tells the story. Of those things which are lost and then are found. But as we come to this text of this elder brother, we see the self-righteous attitude of him. We see that depicted in his shameful reaction. As we come to the text... It says that the, other, the elder brother was in the field. Remember, the younger brother was out in the field as well. A little different scene in the uh, first account there of that parable. But it says that the younger brother left home and he went to that far country. But we come to the text of the elder brother. And we see that he was in the field. He was just as far away from God as the younger brother. He was out in the field doing his own thing. He was out in the field fulfilling his own selfish needs and desires. Notice in the text... How much better this elder brother appears than the younger. The elder brother remains in the house. The younger brother forsook the father. The elder brother remains. The younger brother squandered all the family goods and all of the resources and comes back penniless. And yet the elder brother increases the wealth of the family. The younger brother sought company with harlots. The elder brother sought company with friends. Oh, that's much better. The younger brother comes from feeding the swine (laughs) And the older comes from the field. But here we have an account, and Jesus applies this to the scribes and Pharisees in their attitude toward this younger brother. They are equally lost. The elder serves his father selfishly and prides himself. In his own outward respectability. The elder in his heart was no different from the younger. The older was out in the field working, never home. But here we see in this account the, the shameful response of this elder brother. We see it in verse 28 or 27 when he came home and, and heard the the music and the dancing and this was typical of the culture uh, most of this was celebratory this was not like modern day dancing and, and merry making it was a, a time for feasting it was an occasion for, for celebration and he begins to inquire of his servants what, what's happening here <clears throat> And says, well, your brother's come home. Father's killed the calf, and he has received him safe and sound. What's the response? The brother is just seething with anger. The brother thinks, what audacity my father has to throw a celebration for him when he has squandered everything when he has spent the night with harlots, when he has given himself to riotous living. And so we see in verse 28, when he grows angry, we see that in verse 30, when when he says that he has devoured your living and and you have killed the fatted calf we see the elder brother's displeasure of the reception of his brother. There's a self-righteous pride here. He is ingracious in his complaint. But notice how he sees himself. Verse 29. For many years did I serve thee. I neither transgressed at any time thy commandment. I never transgressed thy commandment at any time. He doesn't say, um, there were many times I didn't, didn't violate your commands. He says, I didn't transgress them at any time. And yet, you never gave me a kid. You never... Gave me a kid so that I might have Mary with my friends. And so we see the ungracious attitude of this elder brother. But we see the exaggeration of his sin. And the one sin that is at the heart of this brother is self-righteousness. I've never violated your command. I've never done anything to displease you. He refused to accept his brother. And so we find here in this parable that both brothers are lost, but the one is filled with selfishness and pride and with that outward respectability. The elder in his heart was no different. But the attitude of the elder brother, and this is reflected in his shameful reaction. The elder brother had the attitude of two things. He had the attitude of position, of privilege. And he had the lack of mercy or compassion. He had this entitlement mentality. This is no different from the first century. In fact, it was probably more prevalent because certain classes of people and certain positions of privilege that are different from today. And today we hear so much about position of privilege and certain races of people have more privilege than others. But here in this parable, the elder brother has that position of privilege. Yes, he is the elder brother. According to Jewish law, there was a certain standing, there was a certain relationship, but he considered his position of privilege as a prideful thing. The apostle Paul reminds us there in Philippians, that he had that same pride before his conversion. He was a Jew. He was born under the law, and he shows all of the, the privilege and the position that he had under the law. But he says, now I count all of those things as dung. I count them as rubbish. And so he regarded his pri- <coughs> privilege very highly. But also we see the lack of mercy or compassion. And if you see anything else in this parable, because we want to see that one common theme of of the mercy of God, of the heart of God toward the sinner. He lacked mercy. He lacked compassion. Jesus applies this to the scribes and Pharisees. They thought, you know, this is a terrible story. This, this man, according to the law, should be put to death. He was giving himself over to riotous and unholy living. He should have received the penalty of death. But yet they never stopped to consider that in their own hard-hearted hearts they were just as guilty of violating every command of God. Jerry Bridges in his wonderful book entitled Respectable Sins talks about the fact that we judge others and yet we don't even consider our respectable sins. He mentions some of those respectable sins within the church. Judgmentalism towards others. And it's not just this matter of having a particular conviction on something. But it's a matter of pushing it to the, to the point of becoming ugly. But also there's this respectable sin of gossip. Oh, I've got to tell you what happened this week. Or this respectable sin of envy. How easy it is for us to be puffed up with envy and arrogance. Toward one another. Of course, this sin of anger, these are respectable sins, but these are the sins of the Pharisees. These are the sins of the scribes. These are the sins of this elder brother. Beware of ingratitude, beware of self righteous pride, beware of exaggerating your own sin it's easy for us to say, well, yeah, I've got this pet sin over here that I just can't give up. But you know what? This is different from his. I'm not as bad as that one. And yet we see that there's a a sense in which all of us, like the elder brother, have that self-righteous arrogance and pride that we don't see our sin as equally guilty before God. And so here in this parable, the elder brother is just as guilty as the younger brother. Story is told, an <clears throat> account is told of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a Welsh preacher and pastor of a large church in London, many years ago before he went to be with the Lord. And in 1941, he went on a preaching mission, which he commonly did. He was going to preach to the University of Oxford. And he knew that most of the students would be in attendance. And there was a meeting there after the service for questions and answers. So the local Anglican vicar... And Dr. Lloyd-Jones went there expecting to find a few students and found that the house was packed full of students. And so one well-spoken young man, after giving some compliments to Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, shows the time in which they lived, put his question he thought about the sermon as much as he could, but he asked the question how he could preach to a congregation of farm laborers or anyone else. What about this? And of course there's laughter coming from the crowd. And Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, I was most interested in the question but really couldn't see the difficulty of the question because I confessed that I regarded the undergraduates and the graduates of Oxford University as any ordinary common human clay and miserable sinners like everyone else. Try that in a university today. And held the view that the needs of those university students were the same as those of the agricultural labor. Or anyone else and it doesn't matter if it's the older brother or the younger brother but all of us stand guilty before a holy God and apart from his mercy there is no hope and so this wonderful parable reminds us of the attitude of the self-righteous elder brother but this is the attitude J.C. Ryle says of many within the church that there's a tendency to think of everybody else as worse than we except for the grace of God we're all equally guilty but secondly we see the kindness of the father toward the elder brother we see first of all in verses 28 through 31, that as the elder brother expresses anger, it says in verse 28, that the father came out and entreated him. Wonderful contrast in verse 28 to what we saw with the younger brother um, in the other account of the parable. Because in the earlier account, in verse 17, it says when he came to himself, he said, I will arise and go to my father and say I've sinned against him. And so in that account, the younger brother was brought to his senses. He came to repentance. But here... In this account, we see no recollection of repentance on the part of the elder brother, but we do see the Father coming to him. He came out to him and entreated him. And here's a beautiful picture of the gospel that the Father draws near to us. He is like the hound of heaven, seeking Those who are lost. And the father draws near to him. The father comes to the elder son and approaches him and appeals to him and entreats him. Every way in which we deal with sinners, any time we proclaim the gospel, there's always an entreatment. There's always a calling. It's not this modern notion of following an outline and and making a decision. But it's this idea of bringing people to the place and entreating them to see that they're sinners, that they need a Savior. But not only do we see the Father drawing near to Him, we see the condescension of the Father. We see the Father coming out of the house, coming to the Son, I'm sure some would assume, well, why did the father even bother? He's such a a rebellious man. Why would you even bother? And yet the text says the father entreated him. The father came out to him. And so we see the condescension of the father to him. But then we see the kindness of of the father in dealing with him. And we don't want to miss this point in the passage. The text tells us that as he came out to him, as he pleaded with him, as he entreated him, there's there's a condescension, there's a kindness in his dealing with this elder brother. It says, as soon as this thy son has come and devoured The living with harlots, thou hast killed the fatted calf. Notice verse 31. He said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. The attitude of our hearts towards sinners is a barometer of whether we have experienced the grace of God. I recall an instance, and many of you were there, of a lady that came in off the street. One, It's always on a Wednesday evening. She came in, she was just standing there, and I could tell there was something wrong. And so some of us <laughs> went in and talked with her for a, a good hour. And I don't know if there will be any fruit from that. <clears throat> but knowing the background and the lifestyle of this woman she could not accuse us of not showing kindness and compassion toward her. And if we cannot show kindness and compassion for sinners, then how can we claim the grace of God? The grace of God has appeared unto all men, teaching us to say no to ungodliness and worldly lusts. And so there should be a kindness... As we deal with others. Oh yeah, it gets sticky, trust me. It gets sticky dealing with the messes of people's lives. But you know what? You can see the same thing sometimes within the church. Because that's the application Jesus makes to the scribes and Pharisees. To those within the visible church. There's so many testimonies of even those within the visible church who've fallen away from the Lord. So there's no guarantee that everyone in the visible church is converted. And yet here in this parable, we see the kindness of the father toward the elder brother. The Pharisees, like this elder son, stood outside. They stood afar. Their hearts were not only closed to the grace of God, but their hearts were closed that God would show mercy to anyone. You had to be respectable. You had to to meet certain requirements. But as we consider the third point, the salvation of sinners is a cause for joy. It was meet, it was right that we should make merry and be glad. For thy brother was dead, now he's alive. He was lost and he is found. His condition was hopeless. He was dead, as Paul reminds us. Dead in trespasses and sins, without hope and without God in the world. And now he's alive. He was lost. He didn't know his way. Now he has been found. But verse 32, and if we see anything else from this parable, I want us to see verse 32. This verse should melt our hearts over the fact that God converts the worst of sinners. (laughs) We have this notion that if God would just convert this Hollywood singer or star, or if God would just convert this, this uh, famous person, oh, what a wonderful testimony it would be. What a wonderful testimony that God converts anyone. And here the, the verse before us should melt our hearts with joy. Over the conversion of the worst of sinners. As I look at this congregation, we cannot claim any privilege or right other than the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we claim anything else, we become like the Pharisees and scribes. The salvation of sinners is a cause for joy. It is a cause for us to rejoice As we consider this passage before us, let us see the heart of the Father towards sinners. Let us see that conversion is a cause for joy. J.C. Ryle says the lesson of these words are meant for the scribes and Pharisees. If their hearts had been in a right state, they would never have murmured. They would have remembered that the worst of publicans and sinners were their own brothers. And that if they themselves were different, it would be because by grace alone that the difference was made. They would have been glad to see such helpless wanderers returning to the fold. And here he says that this lesson impresses upon us that we would do well to take pleasure in the conversion of souls. And I want to say this delicately, and I want to say this not with any malice, but I think there's a tendency, and this is always the reaction against Arminians toward Calvinism. Oh, you don't believe in the gospel. You don't believe in missions. You don't believe in evangelism. It is through the preaching of the gospel that God saves some. It is not through human effort. And sometimes we dismiss the fact that there's any responsibility on the part of the church to save sinners. It's like the old Scottish preacher. Brother, if God wanted the heathen in Africa converted... He would do it with or without you. That hyper Calvinism, salvation of sinners should always be the focus of the church. And it is indeed a cause for joy. Saints of God, are you rejoicing in the grace of God? Are you rejoicing that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life? Do you understand the heart of the Father toward sinners? That the heart of the Father is he will never turn away those who come to him. May we pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we do give thee thanks for thy great mercy. We can never fully understand the depth of your mercy and grace for us. For we were once lost. We all were once the worst of sinners. And yet Christ died for us. O oh Lord, we pray that you would impress upon our minds and hearts the love of the Father towards sinners. The call to, conver- to conversion, the call to see and to to work for the salvation of sinners, which indeed is the cause for great joy. Lord, bless this word to our souls. We pray that you would encourage us as we continue to show forth the mercy and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen.